Welcome to our podcast today on smallbusinesshorsepower.com. And we are so happy to have Joseph and Jasmine Mims with us today joining us. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Tumblr, Podbean. And we're so happy that you're with us. Let's welcome Joseph and Jasmine to the program. Welcome to the program today on Small Business Horsepower. Thank you for having us, Mail. Yeah, we we pre- we appreciate it a lot. I am really interested in your story. I was reading about it. By the way, you can find their website www.abundantculture.co. I was on there earlier and I was reading their story and what a fantastic story it is, but I'm going to let them tell it. So, Joseph and Jasmine, why don't you two give me that background and how you got into this profession? And let me tell you first a little bit. They buy businesses and they make podcasts as well and they do it all and uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into it so yeah our background started when we were really young and uh, we both grew up in households that struggled financially a lot but you know both of our families told us when we were younger the way out of that financial struggle is through education and uh, we believed that. So when it came time for us to graduate high school, we knew we wanted to further our education, but we also knew that our parents wouldn't be able or our family wouldn't be able to uh, help us support the expense of actually going to college. So uh, we both ended up making the same decision, even though we didn't really know each other. We found out that the Army Reserves paid for people's uh, college education. So we ended up joining the Army Reserves. And the reason why we specifically joined the Army Reserves is because uh, we wanted the military benefits, but we didn't want to be in the military full time. But the joke is on us because after graduating basic training after a few months, we ended up getting deployed to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, literally about 30 to 45 days after we got back home from basic training. And to be totally transparent, oh, and before I actually say that, uh, me and Jasmine actually met in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So we had very similar upbringings, but we didn't actually know each other until the, the, the deployment. So we met and started dating there. And to be totally transparent, we absolutely hated that deployment is just a lot of things were much harder than they needed to be. It's already a deployment. You shouldn't have to make it harder, but that's a story for another day. But when it came time to come home from that deployment, we felt optimistic because we were veterans. We felt like we would get all these great benefits and it should be really easy to find work. So we were looking forward to living that so-called American dream. But the opposite would actually prove to be true once we actually got back home from that deployment. We spent several months unemployed after sending out dozens upon dozens of job applications. And after reflecting over that, it felt like I realized that I was right back where I started. Now, it was a little bit different just because we hardly had any expenses. So we saved up a lot of money on the deployment, but you can't live forever off of your savings. So, you know, I had no income. Uh, She was barely bringing anything in. So I felt like I was right back where I was, you know, during my childhood, struggling financially. And I realized that I was doing all of these different things in search of financial stability, but I didn't know anything about finance, money, investing, wealth accumulation, any of that stuff for, you know, that matter. And 
what I did was, you know, since I don't know anything about these things, maybe I should just start reading it because I was unemployed. I had nothing better to do anyway. So I started reading up on those different things. The reading led to courses and then the courses uh, led to different mentors. And through all these mentors, I ended up uh, realizing that I had to become an investor and I didn't want to invest in the stock market, but I heard real estate was a great investment. But again, I had no money. So one of my investors, I mean, one of my mentors taught me how to raise capital from investors. So I ended up raising capital for real estate syndication down south. And I enjoyed the experience, but I didn't necessarily love it. So it's just something that I wasn't supposed to be doing long term. I felt like there was something better out there for me. And then I had the opportunity to buy a coffee shop franchise and I became a franchisee in that, you know, coffee shop franchise. And I enjoyed that experience so much more than I enjoyed real estate. And I also saw the upside potential of that was greater than what I could get in any single real estate deal. So I knew that once I bought that first business, I wanted to really replicate that as many times as possible. In my opinion, if something's worth doing once, It might be worth doing twice, depending on what it is, or three times or four times. So I found a mentor who specialized in business acquisitions, and he brought me under his wing. He taught me, you know, all the mistakes I had made buying my first business and how not to make those mistakes again. He taught me how to analyze deals, negotiate deals, and really grow those companies. But the thing about it is I was still in this process where I needed to raise capital to do a lot of these deals. And a lot of the people that would invest with me in a real estate deal didn't want to venture out into investing in what is basically known as private equity. They didn't want to go from real estate to private equity. They wanted to stay in real estate. So even though I had this capital in my network, I couldn't really use any of it. So basically I had the idea of, you know, instead of going out, finding a great deal, and then trying to pitch it to everybody. I'm just going to start a fund that will allow me to basically always be raising capital, just raise capital all the time, and then just do deals as I'm raising capital. So basically, I decided to do that, I believe, at the beginning of last year. And I just probably about a month ago, we finished up all the legal docs. We onboarded our fund administrator, And we pretty much got all our team and stuff on board. And now we're just marketing for people who would like to invest with us in the fund or people who would like to sell us their uh, business. So that's pretty much brings us to where we are today, which is talking to you. Wow. I need a drink after that. I mean, there was so much there. What an amazing story for you listeners today. Talk about small business horsepower. What a fantastic story. I mean, you meet down in Cuba at Guantanamo Bay. You both have the same idea. You both want some benefits. You don't want to be in it long term. But I mean, this I got a lot of questions out of it. Like just one of my questions is, how did you find that first investor? Because you haven't bought a business yet. You just come out of the military and do you knock on someone's door and say, well, I want to buy an apartment complex or I want to buy a business. Would you invest in it? So how did you find that first investor for our listeners? So our first investor actually came from a networking group that we were a part of. Um, It was like an education slash networking community. And we started making friends within the group and 
it was like one day our friend Nick, we were all standing in a circle and his friend Sylvan walked up and uh, Nick introduced us and that was kind of it. And then the next week, because we met weekly, uh, Sylvan walked up to me like, hey, I saw your Facebook videos because before the podcast, we were just putting out like videos on Facebook kind of about real estate and business and wealth. And he, I guess, just went through like our whole social media and he was like, I want to invest with you guys. And honestly, at that time, I couldn't believe it because I didn't approach him. He actually approached us based on the referral from or connection from a mutual friend and then from our social media. But before that, we didn't really have like a deep conversation. And I think the day after that, we met at Denny's and we sat there probably for like four or five hours. And then the following day, we were like, hey, we don't have any real estate deals, but we have a coffee shop that we're interested in. And he was our investor in the coffee shops. And now we're still really, really good friends today. We're basically like family now. (laughs) That's great. I have a couple other questions. One is, so you get the investors and you sell them on the idea of investing in a business you identify. Well, two questions out of that is one, how do you identify or how did you start identifying the coffee shop or businesses that you want to buy? And second, is it all investor-driven money or do you put your own money in these or did you at the beginning put your own money, whatever you had into the projects? Yes. So the way we found the coffee shop is a totally different manner as opposed to how we go about finding investments now. They're just totally different. It's like night and day. So basically, the coffee shop kind of found us. We were in a situation where we were trying to find more real estate deals to do, but we were being outcompeted by people who had done real estate deals for years. So, you know, if you're an investor and, you know, real estate is hot right now, who are you going to put your money with? Are you going to put your money with the guy who has done like 20 deals over the past decade and has managed hundreds of units or whatever the case may be? Or this new guy who literally just learned real estate and did one deal. And even the deal that he did, most other people did most of the work. You know, if you're an investor, you're going to put your money with the first guy not me. And that's who I was in that situation. So we couldn't find any good real estate deals because also a seller will choose to sell to a more experienced party than somebody who is just now getting into real estate. So we were being outcompeted in that area. It was hard to find real estate deals. And Jasmine, basically, she was trying to find a part-time job. And then that's when she found this place called Little Coffee Cabin. And she applied there. She told them that she was an investor, so she could only work certain days because other days she was working on her business. And they got back to her and basically said, you know, we don't have any slots open right now, but when we do, we'll let you know. And by the way, since you're an investor, we are planning on franchising just to let you know. She didn't reply to that email, but then months later, they replied back to her again. And then they said, I believe it was, hey, we finally got spots open if you want to apply for a job. And then she looked at the old email that said they were getting ready to franchise and she changed her mind. She was like, I don't necessarily want the job anymore, but I'll look, take a look at the franchise. And we originally went there 
we we were curious about the franchise, but we also wanted to see if the franchisor would actually be like an investor with us because we just took every single chance we could to basically network with people. But after going to the coffee shop, seeing the team, seeing the processes, we fell in love with it. And that's when we decided to become part of that franchise. And we were actually one of the first people to sign on. So that deal pretty much fell in our laps. We weren't looking for anything like that at the time. And the reason why we invested is because if we hit the projected numbers, we would actually make more money investing in that than we would investing in a real estate deal anyway. So the numbers just really made sense. The one thing that is still common today is our investment decisions are uh, really, really still numbers driven, but we got better at looking at those numbers. So as you know, a newbie, you're going to look at the bottom line, you're going to look at the projections and you're going to take it at face value and, you know, put your money in as, you know, somebody who's a little bit more experienced now, I'm still going to look at the numbers. I'm still going to look at the projections, but I'm going to look at more. So the team, what the business is doing now, as far as a plan goes, what type of marketing strategy are they using? How can that be improved? So it's just, I'm taking a more detailed approach, but it's still numbers-based kind of like it was back then. And that's really the only key difference between how we invested then versus how we invest now. And to your question about Is it all investor capital or is it some of our own money? For the coffee shop, we put no money into that because we were still kind of broke. So uh, we put (laughs) no money into that at all. But we're in a situation now where we're like, we're starting our fund and investors are still funding most of the deal, like the vast majority. But there are times where we are putting in our own money to uh, make basically our investments in our fund work. And a lot of times when we're putting in money, a lot of times we're putting in the riskiest dollar. And what, what I mean by that is, for example, me and Jasmine, we're looking at two different marketing firms. We're trying to figure out which marketing firm are we going to basically work with in our portfolio moving forward. Well, if you look at our deals and compare it to investing thousands of dollars with a marketing firm, the deals that we do is actually safer than, you know, putting money with a marketing firm and then they either don't perform or they do perform. A lot of the time we're looking at the deals we're looking at, they're already cash flowing. So we just got to not screw it up. With the marketing dollars, you could basically pay thousands and thousands of dollars for marketing and really get no yield from it at all. So we are uh, putting a little bit of money in to it, but we prefer to fund the riskiest part so our investors can enjoy the returns from the actual businesses. Well, let me ask you a question there, because what do you think about franchises? Let me let me be clear on that, because one of the reasons that people invest in businesses that are already in business and then franchised is they don't have to have as much of their own marketing arm. Now, you're talking about something different, which is marketing to build your portfolio and get your name out there so investors will invest. But when you did the coffee shop, you bought into a franchise or a starting franchise. Some people love franchises. Some people are looking to, you know, work with companies to bring in investors because they're not investing in a known franchise. What's your feeling on it? Yeah. So basically I have uh, very mixed emotions about franchises. It depends Uh, on the day. (laughs) It depends on the day. And it also depends on the franchise to kind of get, to explain this the best way I possibly can. If you're 
somebody who wants to be a business owner and you don't have an idea of what you want to do, I think franchising in general is a awesome idea. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't buy that franchise because it can be really scary to just try to start your own business. And it's still scary to buy a franchise, but it's a lot less scary. And I know because like I said, back then I wouldn't have started my own business because I wouldn't know where to start. I don't know how to hire. I don't know the systems. There was a whole bunch that I didn't know, but it being a franchise gave me the confidence of knowing like, well, I'll have the support of the franchisor and the franchisor would do, you know, some of this work and I'll just do kind of the rest of it, but he'll kind of guide me through the process. So I think starting off franchises are amazing. I feel like there's some of the best opportunities that you can look at, but I think you also have to look at the right franchise. Uh, One of the issues that popped up for us is that the franchise we joined was very new. So there was a lot of kinks in the system, the franchise system that we didn't know were there. And, you know, at least in the short term, ended up hindering us a lot more than we would have thought in the beginning. So I think if you're new to business and you you want to buy a franchise and you know you don't know all the little details and aspects about business, I would say go ahead, buy a franchise, but make sure that it's a more established franchise. And then as you become a better business owner, then you could become part of a, you know, you could be the first owner or the first franchisee of the new franchise, because then you'll be able to help that franchisor with some of their systems and you'll kind of, you know, you'll be knowing what to expect. So I think it just really depends on your situation. But overall, I do believe in franchises. For us personally, we're not necessarily buying any more franchisees. I will buy a franchisor, but I wouldn't buy a franchisee. And the only reason why is because, well, the main reason why is because when we buy a company, one of our goals for expanding the company is to turn it into a franchise. And we can't do that if we're a franchisee. So yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, the reason why we don't do franchises anymore. But, you know, moving forward, I will be a franchisor. So it's, I can't say franchises, you know, suck. And then... Right. <laughs> Boy, with that, I want to remind our audience today on Small Business Horsepower that you're listening to Joseph and Jasmine Mims. Such a pleasure to have them on our program today. Let me ask you this, uh, both of you. Jasmine, how do you go about this? Like, Jasmine, do you use a broker as well to find some of these businesses where your fund is lining up investors? Or how do you go, go now about locating a business that you're potentially looking to buy? Tell me, Jasmine, about it a little bit. So pretty much what we are doing in plan to continue doing is basically just throwing a fishnet into the whole entire ocean and trying to get as much back. And what I mean by that is we do plan to use business brokers, but from our experience in the past, we haven't had a lot of good luck with business brokers. The industry is, I would say, not great because a lot of business brokers, it seems like they didn't take their job seriously. So we luckily found a couple of really good business brokers that we're hoping we can get a lot of business leads from. So that is one of the ways that we'll be finding businesses. And another way is uh, we're putting out our own marketing funnels, like with Facebook ads and Google ads and lead magnets. So we'll be generating uh, business leads 
is through there. And then also just through organic, like word of mouth, going back to the networking, which was pretty much the roots to all of our business operations. That's what it always comes down to, right? Networking. I mean, uh, whether you buy real estate, you buy a coffee shop, it always comes back to that same thing, right? Networking. Jasmine, let me ask you about this. Your podcast, you have a great podcast as well. I saw all these episodes on your website, which is again, www.abundantculture.co and uh, co. And uh, it seems like you had a host of terrific guests. How are you linking the podcast to your business? Are you hoping that your podcast listeners will eventually become investors? Or do you mention that on your podcast, what opportunities are available? How do potential investors find out what you're working on or what business is available, Jasmine? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish that we would have gotten that question last year, but (laughs) just recently, I want to say maybe in February of this year is when we actually transitioned our podcast to align more so with our business. Because before with the podcast, we were kind of just like, it was for entrepreneurs, general entrepreneurs to learn pretty much anything in business. But now with the kind of rebrand of the podcast, we are focusing more so on business growth with the process sellers selling their business or like investing, like passively investing in businesses. And with the way that we linked it with our business is because we're hoping that each guest we bring on, or maybe not every single guest, but a lot of guests that we bring on, they have a business and maybe one day they'll be interested in selling and they'll remember coming onto our podcast and being a guest and they'll maybe sell to us. (laughs) Or we also let everyone know on the podcast, we're running ads right now on the podcast, basically to get more investors into the fund. So we let people know that we're looking for businesses to buy and that we are looking for investors to invest. That is fantastic. Well, let me ask you another question then, which is your investor, what do you tell them? I mean, you're not sure, but for example, I remember coming on your podcast and I remember I was saying something like, hey, when you start a business, it's going to be like a seven-year return here before you really can build that business from scratch. What about from an investor's point of view? They're buying an established business. What do you tell them the return is? Or if you're buying a business in the infancy, like what kind of time frame do you give your investors in terms of a period of return? Yes. So as of right now, because we're buying businesses that are already profitable, they're already cash flowing, the projected average annual return for the average company that we look at once we buy it, sit on it for a few years and then maybe refinance it or sell it, the average annual return from that operation for investors specifically will be about 21.56% annually which basically means if you invested a million dollars into the fund, then your average income from that fund would be, I believe it was $215,560, basically. But the returns come 
at different times. So for example, when you first invest into the fund, we buy a business based on the cash flow that the average business generates. It'll be, I believe it was about 15% annually. And then obviously when we refinance that company in about anywhere between three to five years, that return will jump because you get that lump sum payment of your invested capital back. Plus you're getting profit on top of that, the return will jump to about, I believe it was early 30%. So probably 31%. So when you average it out, it averages to that 21.56% that I just told you. And those are numbers that we are able to generate without necessarily even growing the company. So that's one of the things that I think investments have two parts to their return. So there's the growth which every investor wants their money to grow. I think growth is awesome. You know, if you buy a stock at $100, you want to be able to sell it for 150 or 200 at some point in time in the future. So growth is good. But the thing about growth is that growth is skepticism. It might grow. It might not. It might actually decline. You never know what's actually going to happen to the asset that you bought. It could go up in value. It can go down in value. So I think growth is very speculative, but there's the other part of your return. And if you, you know, read anything about the stock market, I believe it was like around 50% or more of the returns generated in the stock market actually come from just dividend. The dividend is basically cash flow. So just like you would get a dividend by investing in a certain stock in the stock market, you can buy a privately owned company and get a dividend payment. And we're planning to pay a dividend at least every quarter. So basically, if an investor invests today, about three months from now, three to four months from now, they can expect to get some type of cash dividend or cash payment. The quarterly, it can change from quarterly to every other month to monthly, depending on what type of fund you invest in. And we kicked around the idea of changing it. And we might in the future, but as of right now, it's just quarterly. And that cash payment is just what we're able to generate even without growing that company. Just by looking at the average multiple that the company sells at and then basically taking that number, like the average company sells for five multiple or less. Well, if the average company sells out of five multiple or less, that means that if you invest in that company and take all the cash out, which you should never take all the cash out, but if you did, you're already generating a 20% return. And that's day one as the company is. That's not including the extra cash that you would generate if you actually grew the company, which obviously we plan to grow the companies. Well, I have a question though here because let's take a step back. Before you said the the way you set up the fund was a little bit different, the way that people invested. Now you set up a fund, people go and invest in the fund, and you're constantly looking for companies, but you already have money in the fund. Well, I have a question. If I'm an investor and there's money in the fund, but I don't know what business you're going to go and buy, do I have any say-so in it? Do I have any input? Or it's just the money goes in the fund and I put it in your hands to make the best deal possible with it. So I think that would be a fair question for investors is you put money in the fund, what visibility do they have from there? So visibility, there's a hundred percent transparency. 
basically we actually hired a what's called a fund administrator called opus they actually uh, administrate i think 20 billion dollars worth of funds on the behalf of fund managers and their whole job is to make sure that investors are getting at bare minimum quarterly reports and that those reports are actually valid so investors will know what we're buying when we're buying it how much we paid for it how much went to the acquisition how much went to working capital how much went to the growth of the company how much did they make as far as a return so the transparency is really really good in my opinion i mean it was even better than i expected just because i was able to hire the fund administrator i didn't know they existed a long time ago but then when i found out everything that they did i was like okay i need them but is the uh, fund is each investor linked to one specific investment that you do or when you invest in the fund you get like an etf in stocks where it's a bunch of companies all put together and you spin it in the blender and it comes out with a average rate return yeah so that's basically what it works it's almost exactly like a mutual fund or an etf and basically so like let's say somebody invests you know $100,000 into the fund well that $100,000 might be invested into 10 15 20 different companies so they have a ownership interest in multiple different companies which i think is one of the strong points of a fund it's also about being diversified as well as generating a return because generating a return from one company is a lot different from generating a return from 10 companies and uh, they both have pros and cons. So it's like you need to basically, if you're an investor, you need to make sure that you're not only looking at the character of a fund manager, you need to make sure that they're a good, honest person, but you also need to make sure that they have the expertise to actually execute on what they're saying. So when I talk to investors, you know, I can actually sit down with them and say, here's how those returns actually work. And I can take anybody on like, a, let's say we did a Zoom call or something. I could do a screen share and I could pull up deals that can pull basically uh, create those type of returns and numbers and show them, you know, that this happens on a daily basis. It's just not one of those things that's super popular to do. So. Well, that is a great, that is great information and what a fantastic story. We really appreciate having Joseph and Jasmine Mims today on our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Joseph, Jasmine, we ran out of time. The clock has struck midnight on us, but I want to ask you again, tell us where we can find you, where we can find your podcast, where investors, give us a little information. Yeah, thank you. So the best place to find pretty much everything we do is on our main website, which is abundantculture.co. So that's .co, not .com. And our podcast, it's also on the website, but you can find it on any podcasting platform like Apple, Google, Stitcher, and all those other ones. <laughs> right. And what's the name of your podcast? It's Abundant Culture Podcast. The Abundant Culture Podcast, www.abundantculture.co. And again, we want to thank you, Joseph and Jasmine, for joining us today on Small Business Horsepower. Thank you for coming on, and we hope that you'll come on our program again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much thank for you. having us. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you so much.